yo, episode 5, look alive, eh? I hate to hear people say Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. It's not true. He came to save the world. There are cosmic implications to what Jesus has done. These are the sort of implications that make us right when we say things like Jesus is the answer for anything. The trouble is, a lot of us don't know how that works out. Probably don't even believe that. Yeah, man. I say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We making sure that's what we standing on. So every view could be cosmical. The objective, not opinion. This is the Christian vision prescription. You catch the mission. Let me bless the studio. Uh, Fix up the microphone. Check one, two, three, go. Sure. This is Udo Ibelame, your host. And welcome to the show. Jesus. Okay, welcome to part three of the Christian vision prescription. All right. Um, the purpose of these few episodes are just to lay a groundwork for everything else that we will do going forward. All right. Just to recap where we were before, we spoke about God a little bit more. We spoke about the God of the Bible as he's revealed in the Bible being an inescapable concept. And if we don't worship and uh, honor and give thanks to God for the th- his attributes that are revealed to us in the Bible, we will um, give thanks to someone or something else for those same attributes. We will attribute those things somewhere else. We spoke about um, how God created the world, um, how he did that according to the Bible, that everything is orderly and intentional, that all things are created good and that they're created to be conquered by mankind who is made in God's image. We also and also made male and female. And we also spoke about um, ethics, what is right and wrong, where does that come from, all right? Um, What is our main ethical concern? What is our secondary ethical concern, all right? Um, Is this just about what we say and do? Um, Does this also have to do with what we think and feel we spoke about our affections being a moral concern we spoke about god blessing obedience and cursing disobedience we spoke we we, uh, connected morality to circumstance in that way right um doing good has consequences and doing bad also has consequences and we spoke about sin affecting everything all right and uh, sin is the problem all right not things not god's created world and god is holy he must deal with it so how does god deal with it that's what today's episode is about so let's get straight into it shall we we have a dress rehearsal for how god deals with these issues right um we know that um sin cannot stand before god a sinner cannot stand before god there's no disembodied sin god doesn't just deal with sin he deals with sinners right and sinners cannot stand before god um we've seen sinners judged in the old testament so that's one thing that we see we see that sinners are judged all right we see the destruction of the antediluvian world before the flood that's the world before the flood we see god coming and flooding everything and killing everyone see even apart from noah and his family all right um we see sodom and gomorrah 
burned. We see the Canaanites dealt with. We see the Egyptians dealt with. And we see different people going through different judgments in the Bible. So that is one way in which God deals with things. And another way is grace, right? Graciously through um, substitution, substitutionary death because the judgment has to happen. The judgment is a final type of judgment and it has to happen. But um, something else can take that place, all right? Um, the first place we see this is actually Genesis 3, which is um, not in my notes. This is, um, this is after the fall, after Adam and Eve ate what they weren't supposed to eat. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. It says, The Lord, that is Yahweh, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. All right? So these are animal skins that Adam and wife are being clothed in. All right? It can't be called skin if God manufactured it out of nothing. Something died. On that day, on that day, Adam and Eve did not die. But on that day, something died. And they were clothed in its skin to cover their shame and their nakedness. All right. And uh, this is the first type of substitution sort of thing that we see. This first type of God covering things up. In Greece, and of course, this is not something that um, Adam and Eve deserve, all right? Um, Hebrews tells us a bit more in terms of um, these sacrifices, and it also relates this to what God has done in the new covenant for new covenant believers, right? So Hebrews chapter 9 from verse 22. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world but now once at the consummation of the ages he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment so christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him so um here is what bob or whoever this guy is that wrote hebrews is saying here all right um without shedding of blood there's no forgiveness this has to happen, right? If not yours and animals, right? And there were sacrifices, there are sin offerings all over the Old Testament, all over the law and uh, 
when someone does something this this would be what you would have to do right um the temple is according to verse 23 a copy of the things in heaven all right so this blueprint that moses got when he was building and all of these things it's a copy of what is up there all right um so this is something that's been acted out down here as to something that is actually real in the heavens and it wasn't just that the temple itself is a picture of what happened of of how the how the heavens is like but it is also that the sacrifice the sacrifices themselves were prefiguring what jesus was going to do in the heavens right um jesus didn't enter a holy place made with hands according to verse 24 right he went into the original the original temple all right and he didn't um offer himself over and over and over and he wouldn't have had to suffer since the beginning over and over and over but he did it once all right he died for our sins once, never to die again, and he offered himself up there as the high priest. And now, if we look elsewhere in scripture, it says that Jesus is seated, right? So his priestly work in terms of offering, having to give an offering to God to, to, to deal with those things, that's done. He has done that already, all right? So he went up and he sat down. All right. Um, so this is um, a picture given all through the Old Testament as to how these things can be dealt with um, without a person having to absorb their own judgment from God. All right. And of course, we learn from the New Testament and that sort of thing that um, the judgment is not um, simply... Um, the first death revelation speaks about a second death all right and jesus himself speaks about um gehenna where people are thrown he speaks about outer darkness speaks about weeping and gnashing of teeth he speaks about torturers so there is judgment that goes beyond death right that jesus himself believed and preached on right um but um the God that determines all things. He has determined to save people, right? And he has determined to save chosen people. So he has determined to save people and he has determined which people that he would save. All right? Um, Ephesians chapter 1 from verses 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us. So he didn't just um, pick those that he would save, right? He didn't just save us in particular. He also set us on a path he has a path set for us he 
predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So, this is God. He has his people and, and this language of being the chosen, the called, the elect, it's all over the New Testament, right? We can't really run from it. He has his people that he has chosen to save. And it has always been this way, even in the Old Testament. He chose Noah. He chose Abraham. He chose Israel and all of those things. And he chose his people, right? Um, but then we are told more. God has purposed in himself, right? He has determined to save those who would believe in Jesus. God's determination over all things includes, of course isn't limited to, but it includes the details of salvation. So we have that he has, he has his people that he has chosen to save. He also has chosen to save those that would believe in Jesus. These are not, um, all of these things, they will sound to someone who is not familiar with all of our scriptures to say about um, the objects of God's love with regards to salvation or whatever the case is, it might be kind of weird. There are things to hold in tension, but they can be harmonized. And so all of these details are equally important and uh, it would be wrong of us to push aside, push one of them aside or push or, or to hold one of them to the exclusion of others. We shouldn't do that, right? Um, God has purposed to save those people who would believe in Jesus. John 3.16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Regardless of the fact that um, the most well-known Bible verse um People seem to be fighting for Matthew 7, 1, judge not, lest you be judged, so that you can't tell them about their nonsense. But um, John three sixteen still rings in people's ear. People still know it, right? And uh, it's very clear. It says that all that believe, it literally says, like if you look in the Greek, it literally says all that believe in him, all the believe in ones, all the ones that believe in him, right, would not perish but have eternal life, all right? So God has determined to save those who would believe in Jesus. God has also determined to save the world, all right? For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's John 3.17, by the way, as after John 3.16, okay? So God didn't plan to judge the whole world, but that the world would be saved through him. All right, um, but then we know that all people would not be saved, right? Um, John three thirty six. These are the words of John the Baptist. He says, "He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him." Revelation chapter twenty verse fifteen says, "And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire." All right, so. All of these are true, that God 
he has um, determined to save his people. He has determined to save those who believe in Jesus. He has determined to save the world. All are true. And they can all be harmonized. But they are all true. And we shouldn't run from any of them. And whenever someone says any of these things, we should say amen. As well as the fact that all will not be saved. Alright? When we start... um. When we start going in um, any other direction, it kind of warps our vision of what God is doing. It can truncate our faith, and in some cases, it can even um, make us to just see and believe things that would completely just kick us out the back door of our own faith. All right? Um, but um, these are all important that God is going to save people that he has chosen specific people that he has chosen that he's going to save people who believe in jesus and that he's going to save the world and that all will not be saved they're all true and they can all be harmonized all right um now jesus died for the on on the cross for the sins of his people the people that he was going to save he died on the cross for them Right, John chapter 10 verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay? Um, and this is Jesus speaking. And he says this. Alright? So he, he, this is what he's going to do. He's going to lay down his life for the sheep. Alright? All who repent and believe will be seen as just before God. Alright? Um... What is what is it that we have to um do? What what is it that we must do? Alright? Mark chapter one verses fourteen and fifteen. Right? Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So this is the message. The message is repent and believe the gospel. Alright? It's about that time. Kingdom is here. Alright? Repent and believe. That is what um, Jesus was saying. This was his message. Alright? In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, um, they basically had a, a supernatural prison break, but they stayed where they were. And the jailer, the, the jailer is asking them what to do to be saved. And this is Acts chapter 16, verse 31. He says, it says, They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. All right? So, this applies to you. This applies to your husband. This applies to your household, my bad. Right? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. All right? So, that repentance and that um, faith, that is... um. That is how we are right with God, all right? So when I say that all who repent and believe will be seen as just before God, that just means that um, you want God cool or they don't have any problems. As it is right now, um, like um, John three thirty six, it says that he who does not obey the Son does not see light, but the wrath of God abides on him. That is your case without Jesus. That is your situation without Jesus. You and God cannot be cool by you doing what it, what you would try to do 
to get cool with God. You can't be you can't be cool with God by trying to tip the scales in the favor of your own righteousness or by doing enough good things to eclipse the bad that you know that you've done. A good judge having you on trial for your sins, for your wrongdoings, cannot say, well, oh God, he's a good person and try to use that to sway the case in a different direction if you are indeed guilty. If he does that, then he's an unjust judge. All right? And God is more just than that. He's more just than any human judge. All right? So his righteousness would demand that you be punished unless, unless you repent and believe. Then you will be looked upon like Jesus has looked upon. You will have his righteousness and he would have paid for your sins. All right? I'm Romans 3.25. 28 sorry says for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law so even by god's standard the law you can't be good with god by trying to do that you will fail um and the only way for you to be good with god or justified before god is by your faith in jesus you understand jesus fulfills those things perfectly you cannot you understand other than that you are at war with god his wrath abides on you and he will judge you all right romans chapter 5 verse 1 says therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ all right you want peace this is the way it happens repent and believe all right now repentance and faith is a gift from god all right. Um, let's look at the Second Timothy chapter two verses twenty four to twenty six. The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. All right, let's focus on what it says in verse twenty-five. If perhaps God may grant them repentance so god's servant is not to kick up a fuss or whatever the case is but he's to be kind and he's to be patient when he's bringing across his point and all of those things and correcting so that the person he's talking to in hope that the person he's talking to would repent but should that person repent it wouldn't be because they're so righteous or they're so smart or you were so good at bringing it up across that it finally clicked for them but it was because god gave them that repentance and then they exercised it they don't have it they don't have it and god has to grant it to them all right all right um we have to think about um what sin does sin affects everything and sin even affects our minds and our nature we are fallen to the point that the the relationship with god is not something that we can bridge on our own right it's something that god 
has to do for us. And even if a man repents, it happens because God has given him that repentance. If a man walks across the bridge, it is because God has built that bridge and it is because God has given him what is necessary, morally speaking, for him to cross that bridge. Otherwise, it wouldn't happen. The fact that someone repents, it means that God has already done what he has done in their heart, right? And that's why we could say that is all praise to Jesus with regards to our salvation. Because if nothing happened on that side, then nothing could happen on this side, all right? How does the Bible describe us, right? For the mindset on the flesh, this is before... Um, this is before salvation. This is the mindset on the flesh, right? For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. So fighting God, right? Fighting against God. Futile endeavor, but um, this is what is happening. The mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please god so the mindset on the flesh fighting god it does not follow god's law is not even able to follow god's law and cannot please god that person with that type of mind cannot please god all right and this is this is us before um we are granted repentance graciously by god this is our situation. You understand what I'm saying? This is our situation. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. Let's start at the beginning, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in love in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. All right? Well, Paul here is speaking to Ephesian Christians, and he's talking about what they were before Jesus, right? And what they were is dead, all right? Again, they haven't been granted repentance by God. This is something that God has to do. God has to be the first mover and god has to grant that repentance even in in something like death like say someone is dead perfect example lazarus lazarus was death dead right lazarus couldn't come out of there without resurrection power the fact that lazarus could come out of there was simply because of the resurrection power. You understand? If Jesus didn't have resurrection power there with him and said Lazarus come out or Lazarus come forth depending on what translation you have, like um, nothing would happen. You understand? Jesus had to bring that man to life for him to be able to come out. You understand? He can't come out. He not he don't have he doesn't have what it takes to to come out of death. The first thing he had to come out of is death before he could come out of the tomb. Nobody can do that, right? 
You were dead in your sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived. So we're dead, but we walk in and we live in. This is a spiritual reality that's being described, right? So we walk in and we live in, but we're dead. You understand? Zombie, zombie things, right? And uh, we were children of wrath. That wrath of God that was spoken about abiding on us. You understand? But God. So God had to do. We couldn't do. You understand? But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. So that resurrection power. This is what salvation is being described as by Paul in terms of how it works. What happens is that we have resurrection power. You can't do anything to get that resurrection power. We saw already that repentance is something that God grants. Repentance is not something that we exercise and that God then answers with that resurrection power. You understand? Repentance is something that comes with the resurrection power. God grants that to us, in a sense, when he gives us that resurrection power and then we exercise it. You understand? Um, raised us up with him, seated us in the heavenly places is all grace. You understand? If repentance and faith is a formula for something that we can just do on our own, then we cannot say that we are saved by grace because we went through the formula. We did what we were supposed to do and we got there. You understand? But because it is something that God has to work in us for us to even be able to exercise that, we can talk about the surpassing riches of God's grace and kindness. You understand? Because, again, if it's a formula, then it's not grace and kindness. It's duty. You understand where I'm coming from? But it's grace and kindness. God gives it to us. Salvation makes a man new. You understand? This is what happens. When we, when we are in Christ, we're new, right? That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come, right? When, um, when we're justified by, by faith, we have peace with God now. That is a whole new scene. You understand? New scene. New creature. You understand? Ephesians um, describes it as resurrection, as we could see. This whole narrative here is a resurrection narrative, right? It even says at the end here that um, the, being saved by grace through faith, that's not your own thing that's a gift of god this is all coming from god right this is all coming from god new creation creation is something only god can do new life resurrection is something only god can do you don't do something to be given new life you don't do something to be created and you don't do something to be born john 3 describes it jesus describes it as new birth in john 3 the same phenomenon in which God does what he does. 
You understand? Um, theological terms, they like to call it regeneration, right? But um, John 3 calls it new birth. Jesus says, um, unless um, a man have to be born again to even see the kingdom, not to talk about walking in, you understand? It's not like you walk towards it and then you start to see it. No, you have to be born again to even see it. And being born, like being created or being given life, is not something that you can do yourself. You understand what I'm saying? So these are all like the the animation of this thing comes from God and God makes us new. You understand? And this is, it doesn't just stop there, right? Sanctification makes the new man better. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. All right? So, God has determined beforehand, determined all things beforehand, including what those people who have been saved by grace through faith all right, what they would do after that, all the good works that they would do, God determined that, and God is actually also actively working in that person to perform those things. You understand? And He has created that person as His workmanship in order to perform those things, right? Romans 3 31, the same Romans 3 that says in verse. 28 that we justified by faith we cool with god because of our faith in jesus and not with regards to our being able to keep god's law right verse 31 says do we then nullify the law through faith may it never be on the contrary we establish the law all right james chapter 2 verse 26 says for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead all right <clears throat> Read Romans and you read James and song like they fight and they're not. All right. The point of Rome and, and it's it's here in Romans and uh, you will see what is being argued throughout like James 2, which is basically you and really have faith if you don't have fruit. If this doesn't come out of your fingertips in some sort of way, what you believe, what you really believe comes out of your fingertips. You understand? So, what you really believe comes out of your fingertips. Faith without works is dead. If you profess Christ, but you're not, you, you, there's nothing that has come out of that in terms of your actions. You understand? Your, your, your argument is kind of invalid. You understand? The, the faith that God gives. And again, this is God that has done this, right? God has given you that repentance. God has given you that faith. God has made you new. That's going to have an effect on you. It can't have no effect on your lifestyle. You understand? Sanctification is what they call it, right? And it makes the new man better. You understand? Glorification makes the new man perfect. First John chapter 3, verse 2 says beloved now we are children of god and it has not appeared as yet what we will be we know that when he appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is all right being like jesus was more perfect than that all right um first corinthians chapter 15 from verse 51 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have here we have the resurrection, alright? And the nature that it will have. This body won't be able to die anymore or be damaged. You understand? We will be perfected in every way. Alright? And that is what we look for. Alright? <clears throat> the last thing that I want to say about all of this is that God saves to the uttermost. Alright? This is Romans chapter 8 verses 28 to 30. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Alright? So... From the beginning to the end is all God, all right? And we spoke about God causing all things. He determines all things so he can see that he causes all things to work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. What is that good? He foreknew specific people, that's the those. He foreknew those people and he has a plan, he has a set path for them to become conformed to the image of Jesus. You understand? And all of those who he foreknew and he chose, he predestined them to go down that path. And he also called them. Alright? And all who are called are also justified, as in they're cool with God now. You understand? So this calling is not just me saying, hey, repent and believe the gospel. Is is not just um, that sort of calling, but it is that calling that results in justification all right so it has to be something that is as they say effectual it has to be something that definitely leads to that it has to be something related to that new creation that new life right that um new birth that granting of repentance that faith and grace being a gift of God. It has to be something related to that that definitely leads to us exercising faith and then God seeing us as righteous because we have exercised that faith. You understand? Because the justification definitely comes after. And all of those who are cool with God, all who have gone through all of this, it will end in their glorification. And this is something that should make us feel very, very safe and comfortable about God's ability to save from the start to the end. Do people fall away? Yes, but that has nothing to do with God. Because when God saves, he saves to the uttermost. 
And uh, what I want to do is I want to come back to this verse right here, 2 Timothy 2.24, right? <clears throat> I'll read from there at least. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. So what's going on there? What is going on there is that 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 person who needs to be granted repentance, that's the only way they're going to come to Jesus. For real, a lot of people make decisions for Jesus and some of them fall away. And all who go from, go all the way through that list from the four new to the glorified, those people, of course, they never fall away because they start and they finish, right? But, um, those people, God did something in them and God had to do it in them for them to really come. You understand? God had to do it in them for them to really come. They weren't coming any other way. And so it is good that we be not be quarrelsome. It's good that we be kind to all. It's good that we be able to teach patient when wrong and be gentle and correct those and correct those who oppose us with that gentleness. And it's good because God has told us to. This is the way in which we transmit the same message, the same truth that comes out of God's word to those who need it, to those who need to hear the gospel. We don't need to change the gospel. We don't need to make things more palatable or less scandalous because the gospel is a scandalous thing. We don't need to change it at all. Because at the end of the day, it is God who is doing what he is doing in us. God is doing it. And the only way that person will come to God is if he does it. Right? So if we trust him, we will do things his way. And we will not try to change things up or change the message up or make God look a little nicer. Be his PR in different ways or whatever the case is. Because we believe that we will have 100% success, that all of those who God destined to come through our preaching of the gospel will definitely come and that God will definitely work in them. If we are confident about God's working through the means in which God himself has determined to work, then we won't try to change things. We would be confident that um, when we go out there, those that have to come will come god will reach those who he has to reach and all of those who god reaches he will give them that repentance and they will come to the knowledge of the truth every other monday another episode of the udo ibelame show is in danger of dying. We need your help to keep them alive. For just one dollar or more, you can provide those who keep this show alive with the doubles that they need to move on. Buy me a doubles today.
Link in the show notes. I want to talk about how what can be wrong is made right. And we've just done it. We've just spoken about God's offer of salvation, God's free offer of salvation through the gospel. And that is a free offer to repent and to believe. All right? Um, what I want to talk about now is the way in which this is cosmic. I hate to hear people say Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. It's not true, right? John 3.17 says, He came to save the world. You understand? They are cosmic implications to what Jesus has done. All right? And uh, these are the sort of implications that make us that make us right when we say things like Jesus is the answer for insert variable issue X. Anything and we say Jesus is the answer. The trouble is a lot of us don't know how that works out. A lot of us probably don't even believe that. Or the way in which we believe that is, we believe that if this person has Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, that um, that will be comforting enough to them to wait out all of these things that they're actually complaining about. All right? Um, but again, the gospel is cosmic, all right? And what Jesus is, has done is that big and it includes everything going back to hebrews chapter 9 we see that um is talking about things being cleansed with blood and shedding of blood and sacrifices and all of those things i'm not going to read it right i read it already what i want us to remember though is when we look in the law of god we will see um, sin offerings and we will see offerings for all sorts of things sometimes there are offerings associated with things that aren't even sinful there are rituals that include offerings that that include all of these things that um that have nothing to do with um personal salvation in that sense you understand so the interesting thing is that um, sacrifices in the Old Testament aren't just about sin. They can cover a lot of things that some of them may not have anything to do with sin or they might not be, okay, a product of sin. So for instance, um, a woman's period. When, when she becomes, there are rituals associated with the period in terms of um whether you're ritualistically unclean, when that period is done, you have to bring sacrifices. There's uncleanness um, related to childbirth. And when that is done, you have to bring sacrifices. You understand what I'm saying? And uh, it's not necessarily a sin on the woman's part to have a period or to 
make a child. I mean, the Bible speaks all over about the blessing of having children. You understand what I'm saying? That's that's always viewed as something that God wants us to do and is always viewed as a blessing when that happens, right? But um, the fact is that the fall affects all of these things and there's a there's a sense in which the fall or sin can affect all of these things. And God is so holy that all of that has to be dealt with before you come to him. Not even just sin, the fall, all of those things, all of those effects, all of that, you understand? That can be tainted with sin, that can be tainted with whatever. All of that has to be dealt with before we come before him. And that's what the Old Testament teaches us. And uh, we don't have any of those sacrifices now. And we have to say, we have to be able to say that Jesus and what he has done covers all of that. Jesus and what he has done covered all the ways in which sin affects a woman's reproduction. All the ways in which sin affects childbirth. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to say that or else we have a reason to keep doing sacrifices, which Christians don't, all right? Um, now, we have to understand how far the fall goes, you understand? To understand how, what, the, what the gospel does. And some people see this, but some people still think that the gospel doesn't, doesn't actually redeem everything that the fall has cast down, right? Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, right? So we all die, and we all have mortality, and we all get sick and all of those things. That happens because of sin. That happens because of what Adam did, all right? I interacted with someone recently, I was making I was making the argument that sin is what brings death and all of those things into the world and so you cannot synthesize evolution with a Christian view of the world because evolution denies any moral connection between any any moral connection to um disease and death and all of those things that's just the way it, that's just the way things work as far as they're concerned and this individual was telling me one of the things he said that I did not respond to because he said something that was more important one of the things that he said is that animals didn't sin plants didn't sin all of these other things didn't sin right but um we have to understand the covenantal relationships between things right we have a head all right there's adam he's a head christ is a head if we can accept that god sees us as righteous because of what jesus has done when then we have to accept that um god can hold us guilty under adam we have to we can't say that what jesus has done is so awesome and then say that what adam has done is so unfair or that god counting that against us is unfair all right we can't say that 
You understand? And we don't make those rules. All right? Adam represents us covenantally in that way. And what is Adam above? What is he put over? He's put over the creation. And so everything under him, including his progeny, that's us, and including all of creation, is affected by what he did. All right? Romans 8. What does it say from verse 19? For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan with in ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our body and of course paul here he's speaking to roman christians um this hasn't happened yet the what he's saying hasn't happened yet and it's something that we're waiting for so he's talking about something that would happen at the at the very end the resurrection right um but going back here the creation is groaning and suffering all right and the creation is growing and suffering because it has been subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it all right so adam has subjected creation to futility and that is something that we have to accept it's not just us that suffer everything suffers dogs cats all of those things everything suffers because of sin because of the fall and we look forward to a new creation in which certain things wouldn't be suffering in that way again we go back to our ethics section all right god blesses obedience god curses disobedience okay God blesses obedience, God curses disobedience. Because of Adam's disobedience, there's the fall, biggest curse ever. Because of Jesus' obedience, there is redemption, biggest blessing ever. And according to Romans 5, it surpasses what the fall does. It surpasses what was lost in the fall in such a way that Eternal life is something that can't be taken away. It's something that can't end. It's something you can't die. You can't go through sin, all of those things, if you have this eternal life. So the fall will never happen again, right? What Adam done, did has been undone and is being undone and will be undone to the point that it can't be done again. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5 and he who sits on the throne said behold i am making all things new and he said right for these words are faithful and true all right so we're looking for cosmic renewal that cosmic renewal is going to affect everyone and everything the last verse of isaiah 65 verse 25 right um says the wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox and the dust will be the serpent's food they will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountains says the lord right um there's a sense of um things returning to what they would have been like we look at um genesis 1 and we see that the diet of all the animals 
is very, very different. And we see this sort of thing being promised to happen in the future in Isaiah. All right. Um, Isaiah tells us a lot that um, things would be different on a cosmic level, that things would be different on a societal level. And this is all coming out of what Jesus is going to do. Right. Chapter 9 from verse 6, for a child will be born to us, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the, tr on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So God excited to do this. He excited to establish and uphold justice. All right? And of course, the government rests on the shoulders of Jesus. Even now, he said in the Great Commission, um, Matthew 28, 18, he said, all authority has been given to him. All right? So this government resting on his shoulders is not something that's going to happen. It's something that happened already. So... The increase of his government and peace is something that has been happening and will continue to happen without end, according to this. You understand? Isaiah chapter 42, first four verses. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. So this thing has, this gospel, this Jesus, that is the king, that is the anointed one. He's the high priest and the king, right? The king of kings. The ruler of the kings of the earth, according to Revelation as well. It has implications, societal implications, national, multinational implications. You understand? And uh, there might, there would be or might be different times in which you or I might be able to look at the state of things around us and be disheartened or crushed. But Jesus himself, he will not be disheartened or crushed. When Adam sinned, everything didn't just change automatically and go straight into the toilet. That's not what happened. All right? When Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended, and went to sit down at the right hand of his father, Everything is not going to come out of the toilet immediately. You understand? He will do what he's going to do. He will establish justice. And the way how he's going to do it is through the gospel. The ordinary gospel, working in the hearts of men, little by little, moving out, moving out, moving out. As more men repent from their sins, turn to Christ, and walk in obedience to him. And he brings his blessings on that. That has huge implications. 
and we can get into specifics in different areas. But this is the way in which I think we should start saying Jesus is the answer. We should not be saying Jesus is the answer vaguely. What we should be saying is the gospel is going to make all things right. Okay? We can get, and this, and this um, would help us in our sanctification too because it would help us to align ourselves with God's way of doing things. We get knowledgeable on what the word of God has to say about variable unknown issue x right we we're back there now we we get to what the bible has to say and we show where we are how we don't want to do it or how we have strayed from that and this is why we have the problems we have this is why we can even do i'm sure people with different um with with who are able to trace cause and effect between certain things they will be able to see how this contributes to the problems that we have or whatever the case is. But even if you can't do that, you know for a fact that God bless that God blesses obedience and that he curses disobedience. You might not know how particularly that happens, right? But you know that we are disobeying. And that is not just some evil that's in the water or in the air or with people that I can't touch or influence in any way. It's in our heart. And we are no closer to that than when we repent of our sins, all of our sins, including our sins in those areas, and we trust in Jesus for our salvation. We trust in him to have grace and mercy on us for those sins. And we start to move now, not to be right with God, because we done right with God after we, we repent and we have faith, but in faith, in faith, with the faith that makes us right with God, with the faith that makes us cool with God, because of the faith that makes us cool with God, we move in obedience and God blesses that obedience and we continue to preach that gospel and people in different areas, in different whatever, they, the same thing happens to them and they begin to move in obedience as well. And the more that spreads, the more the curses push back and the more the blessings come. And that is Jesus doing it. That is Jesus doing it. And at the end, Jesus will of course come and finally do it. But until that happens, according to Jesus, on the rock of his lordship, of his control over everything, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates are not advancing. Gates are not doing anything. Gates are gates. The picture there is that we are ramming. Ramming the gates. We are ramming the gates. Ramming the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand up under that. And the way we ram the gates is through the preaching of the gospel and through obedience to God's word that he blesses. And Jesus does that in our hearts. And Jesus, of course, blessing obedience and also cursing disobedience. He deals with men and churches, families, even nations that will not bow to him. They are dealt with. He brings his sanctions on them in time and in history. And he brings his blessings on all of those that will call on his name. 
and walk in his ways. That is the Jesus is the answer. That is the Jesus is the answer. And we bring it to different situations and we look at what is going on. How are we sinning? How we can repent and turn to God? How we can do the right thing? How we can continue to spread and preach the gospel such that there are hearts of men out there that want to obey God in this way. That's how Jesus does what he does. And we trust him and we go with him and we believe in him and continue to push that gospel out there. Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is the only salvation for man. All right? There is no other name under heaven among men through which we could be saved from anything and from everything. All right? I hope you guys are enjoying and benefiting from this um, Christian vision prescription. We'll be back later and we'll finish this off strong. All right? Praise Jesus. You made it through the whole episode, the show done Hope you get some positive in the nucleus You know, a proton, anyhow, you know the slogan Preach, 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 Jesus, Jesus.